This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to this midweek edition of Total Saints Podcast, your dedicated weekly pod going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Yes, thanks to the TV schedule, where's Des Kelly when you need him? Saints' latest game took place on Monday night against Brighton and Hove Albion. In a game that saw Saints once again playing in front of a watching audience, we'll be reflecting on that hard-fought 2-1 win down at the MX, our first win on a Monday night since beating West Ham United. 1-0 in 2002. As is always the case around Christmas time, the games come thick and fast, so we'll also look ahead to Sunday's fixture versus Sheffield United. Sandwiched in the middle of that is our latest TSP International Supporters Club, which sees Baharath Vishal Mahesh Kumar from Southampton FC India joining us to talk life in India and the group's committed dedication to following Saints. Look out for that later on. We'll also discuss two years in charge for Ralph Hasenhutl and touch on Jan Bednarik's new deal. Dan's otherwise engaged this evening, but Glenn and Steve are both here with me. Evening, chaps. Evening. Evening. Steve, the Dubai dream is over. You're obviously back in sunny Croydon. Um, the trip back and getting into the UK during a pandemic all okay? Yeah, it was absolutely fine. They got this passenger locator form that they were making great sort of big statements about on both on the plane and also um in dubai when when i was checking in that you had to have filled it in and they'll check and all this sort of stuff of course i get to heathrow and there's basically only about two two members of staff on at the uh at passport control and they're letting you use the e-gates anyway so no nobody actually checking any of this stuff so a complete waste of time but yeah heathrow was empty so um yeah sailed straight through and rather conveniently, the M25 was equally um, deserted, which was a pleasant surprise. Not even an hour's drive back um, back here, but it's freezing. So, yeah, a bit of a reality check for, <laughs> for yours truly. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. And uh, in true uh, Steve Grant style, then you uh, flew back first class. Is that right? Yeah, I had a nice nice little upgrade. Um, I had loads of miles to use from previous trips. And I mean, I, I usually ask when, when I check in just on the off chance. And usually it's a it's a polite but firm no but no they, they had um they had one one seat available so um basically used half my uh half my miles on the on that one upgrade um but yeah that was um that was an extraordinary experience <laughs> um, I can imagine. like 
like a shower on board and and all this sort of stuff. It's absolute nonsense. But I mean, I, I, I wouldn't wouldn't pay for it. Not in the not in the month of Sundays. The the amount they cho- charge for it when it's not actually cost me anything. Figured it was kind of kind of worth worth doing for the experience. And yeah, it was uh yeah, it's great fun. Good to hear. From a first class aeroplane to a first class blogger, Glenn, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. Do you like that? It was yeah, a good yeah, link, yeah, wasn't I'm, it? I'm, I've had a shower in my house. It? It's, it's, it's been nice. <laughs> someone chucking buckets of water over a fence at you or something like that, is it? So. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's not very warm either. <laughs> How are you doing anyway? You all right? You all good? Yeah, not bad. Good. Not bad. All the better for Monday night. That was yeah. um, that was good. So, yeah. Happy days. Looking forward to the next few fixtures. And uh, it's no point in asking how anyone is in this country. We, you know, we're just we're just jobbing along, Battling doing the same today. thing that we've been doing for the last few exactly. few months. So, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, just is what it is but uh, yeah happy days indeed and we're under a bit of time pressure tonight because you've got to get uh, Junior to football training a bit is that right so I need to get myself uh, shifting here yeah yeah I feel a bit strange calling him Junior as he's taller than me now <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah in effect that is what I have to do yes yeah great alright well I'll, uh, I'll hold the the, uh, the chit chat there and get on with the pod thing Glenn alright so uh, good yep. stuff um, just just before we uh, move on I just wanted to give a, a quick um, shout out to uh, um, uh, draw your attention to a Christmas giveaway we're currently doing in partnership with Art of Football um, just via Twitter so it's only on Twitter if you go onto our Twitter site at Total Saints Pod you'll see it currently pinned to the uh, top of our profile there it's a Christmas giveaway teaming up with them where they're going to give away one of their Saints FC Prinzel shirts to a lucky winner that I'll get Glenn or Steve to draw out uh, next week at some point all you need to do is to enter is to follow art underscore of underscore football on Twitter obviously follow us as well and just retweet the tweet that's on there that's all you got to do follow art of football follow Total Saints pod and retweet the tweet and you've got a chance of winning we'll announce it uh, 15th of December on Twitter and as I say I'll get Glenn or Steve to uh, draw out the lucky winner right let's get going for this pod under pinned by our wonderful global patrons this is tsp 139 this is the total saints podcast with ben stanfield steve grant glenn delacour and the Athletics, Dan Sheldon. Saints headed along the south coast on Monday night, destination Brighton, for their latest Premier League game. In a match that can probably be filed under ugly but effective, Saints came away with a crack in three points, which saw them become the 11th Premier League side in history to achieve 1,000 points. I know what you're thinking, and the answer's 707 more than Pompey. Glenn, as an overall 90 minutes, and uh, we can discuss some of the key talking points in a moment, certainly not a, a classic, but who cares about that? Three more points, and uh, we're halfway to safety now. Yeah, absolutely. We weren't, we weren't great. Um, and it wasn't a great game, and I, I struggled to think of either goalkeeper making a meaningful save. All three goals were set pieces, and our winning goal was um, slightly dodgy, shall we say? <laughs> but at the end of the day, who cares? Three points. It's our, our usual three points down from Brighton. So uh, yeah, happy days, and uh, on to the next one. And it's it's an important win because you know our last two games were a draw with Wolves and a defeat to Man United. So if we hadn't won, we'd have been suddenly maybe not so positive about things and it would be three games without a win but as it is it's it's amazing what what a positive spin three points puts on things and you know suddenly we've had one defeat in nine or whatever it is so yeah it's uh it's good we made our work of it i think brighton closed us down well and made it difficult for us but ultimately they haven't got anything up front and i think that 
that was always uh, that was always telling and Danny Ings made made the difference because suddenly one team had a striker on there who um, who actually looked like he might uh, create something or do something and uh, that ultimately was the difference and um, yeah he, he was excellent when he came on and um, it, it's it's not a moment too soon that he's back because I think it showed that uh, had it gone on for much longer we would certainly have started missing him more than we have so far so uh, yep a good win. I think as I mentioned last week, yeah, incredible. It's a happy hunting ground for us because it was uh, it's now nine wins, three draws and one defeat in the last, uh, what's that, 12, 13 games down there, isn't it? So, yeah, impressive. Steve, the first 40 minutes or so, as Glenn mentioned there, it was fairly sluggish from a Saints point of view. Arguably, we probably could have been more than uh, one down. But um, any arguments with the, the sort of War-Prowse uh, handball and penalty? No, I don't think so. You can see what the argument is from his perspective, why his hand's up. He's, appe- he's appealing for handball, but... You play to the whistle. You you deal with you deal with the the situation as it is, and then you appeal for the handball um, afterwards. You you don't stick your arm in the air because that is the absolute dictionary definition of what they're saying in the laws now. Of if your hand is above your shoulder, then basically any any contact with the ball is automatically going to be given as a pen- as a penalty. So yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see that don't see that you can have have any complaints from that. And it, to be honest, it kind of capped off a what was quite possibly i mean apart from apart from maybe that um sort of 40 minute spell against spurs possibly our our sort of most disjointed and sort of mediocre sort of 45 minutes of football all season i would say it wasn't great was it um but yeah i mean thankfully steve with our our first shot on uh, goal or header as it probably was uh on target yannick vestergaard obviously restored parity just moments before half time and uh as i said i mean what a header it was Uh, i saw glenn had posted something a couple of days ago about the fact of you know vestergaard struggling to get much off the air last year and uh, and things like that but I mean that was a fantastic leap and he just again as he has done a couple of times this season just overpowered everyone and almost as soon as it made contact you just knew where it was going yeah and it's it's also a, a kind of testament to what I assume is hours of work on the training ground with these set pieces because not only has obviously Ward-Prowse got to put in the perfect ball Vestergaard's got time has run perfectly for that as well and he he's met it and jumped at exactly the right moment and it's interesting as well that Brighton's defensive record from set pieces is absolutely atrocious. I think in the last last season and a half, they've conceded the most goals in the Premier League from set pieces. So I guess it's probably not all that surprising that we scored from scored through that route. And yeah, I mean it's it's work on the training ground, it's scouting, knowing that Brighton play this sort of kind of half-assed zonal marking system whereby they have they don't really mark the the actual danger zones. They kind of they all sit very deep and they leave the they sort of have all the sort of big big men and they I mean they, let's let's be honest Brighton have got a massive defence yes. yeah I mean have, Lewis yeah. Dunk's yeah. about nine foot tall um <laughs> you know, Webster who's who's pretty big as well and they didn't even, didn't even have Dan Byrne on the pitch who's um, just a human lamppost they got, got uh, Tarek Tarek Lamptey who's five foot nothing well <laughs> yeah. He, You'd stick him on, stick him on the post just to kind of keep him out of the way, wouldn't you? Dunk is Dunk is their prime guy in the air, and yet they've left they've left him to not have a run at the ball. So as a result, Vestergaard's got the run on him, and I mean if you can even get a get a foot off the ground, which I mean Vestergaard gets plen- gets plenty of air time, but if you even get a foot off the ground, then you then you've got a leap on on the centre back in that situation. And I don't really understand why Brighton are persisting with it, but obviously quite happy that they're doing so on that as far as Monday night's concerned. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because we, uh, I wouldn't say we've given him stick because that's a bit unfair, but probably over the, the duration of this podcast, we've had a few tongue-in-cheek comments about Dave Watson and the goalkeepers and things like that. But it was interesting, yeah, Ralph said after the game, you know, how much effort Dave Watson has put into set pieces with the team. And I think, as you said there, it's uh, clear that it's paying off. So, you know, credit to him for that uh, work. Um, Glenn, I, I wrote these notes uh, yesterday. And uh, if you want to send, uh, not you, Glenn, but if anyone listening wants to send uh, an email to tell me how ridiculous this next line is, then uh, let me know. It's Total Saints Podcast at yahoo.com but we've spoken about Yannick Vestergaard a fair bit over the past few weeks for me you know he was clear man of the match in that game as I say people are going to laugh at this but I watched him and I genuinely thought he looked and I know it was only one game but he looked like Virgil van Dijk out there and people will laugh but he was dominant in the air he was getting the ball and coming forward with it spraying around 40-50 yards passes I mean he's not Virgil van Dijk we know that but he, he clearly showed the reason why Saints had put that investment in trying to sign him because you know for me it was arguably the best performance he's ever put in in our shirt yeah I'd I'd say so. There were there were certainly aspects of his of his play that were that were up there with the standard that Van Dyke regularly sets. His passing of the ball out of the defence is is now moving up into the excellent category. Um and you've only got to look at his role in the second goal for that. I mean that's a that's a left footed ping right onto a guy's chest about I don't know how far that ball's travelled, forty, fifty yards yeah. off and he's just, kicked, just into he, the penalty area. Yeah, he's hit it yeah. <laughs> he's hit it with his left he's hit it with his left foot and he's not left footed. Yeah. And it it's a it's a brilliant ball. I mean the one thing that he will never have that Van Dyke has got is the pace. Yeah, That's yeah. what sets Van Dyke apart, is is the is the fact that he can he can literally do everything. Yannick has really got to concentrate on not getting isolated one on one or as we've said many times before, when he when he has to turn and run back towards his own goal it it's not pretty sometimes, but uh, as long as we play in a way that accommodates that, and and he carries on the way he is, he you know he, he's he's heading up there to challenge Ings and Ward-Prowse for Player of the Season at the moment. He he has been he has been an absolute revelation, and and it's it's the similar thing. I've seen mixed reviews of Romeo's game on, on Monday night. I I thought he was okay. He had a couple of ropey moments, but I thought when, he did well. when yeah when you've got players that are in your squad who you've You've not written off, but you've you kind of accepted that they're at a certain level and they're not really going to get much better. And then suddenly they make a massive improvement. It it, it is like having a new player. Sudden, you know, suddenly you've got this real asset on your hands, and and we've definitely got that with Vestergaard at the moment. He's you know he was kind of average for a large part of his Saints career, but since he's got in the team at the start of this season, it's it's been a different player. Yeah, it's, it's, I was just going to say I think you're right, and and for me it's almost the same as you say with Romeo because I thought he had a fairly decent game but he's almost set the bench mark so high this season that uh, a 7 out of 10 makes him look like he didn't have a particularly good game so I think you're right yeah. but uh, I think we can officially now I, uh, I saw lots of people myself including calling him uh, Yannick Vestergaard so I think we're going to go with that now but uh, Steve look, obviously it was good to go wrong <laughs> I know yeah, we're building ourselves <laughs> up I've just called him Virgil van Dijk as well so yeah look out for a howler this weekend um, obviously it was good to see Danny Ings back um, coming on at half time replacing Musa Gineppe who um, you know, felt like he had just one of those nights in inverted commas didn't he, he couldn't really do anything right were you surprised to see Ralph change it at half time bearing in mind they'd obviously just scored the goal before half time Steve uh, no because I think had Gineppo put in one more mm. um, even slightly foul challenge he'd have, been, he'd have been sent off and we'd have been down to ten, 10 men for the remainder of the game so I think he made the right call I, I actually don't think Gineppo necessarily played that badly it was just that he was he was the one constantly fouling people yeah and therefore it was you kind of you kind of look at it and think, oh God, he's um he's given away another free kick. He's having he's having an absolute nightmare. But actually, he was the one that was picking the ball up and running, and and getting us further up the pitch. 
in a in a half where we didn't do that anywhere near enough against against a side who play pretty football but don't but have very little end product in open play. Whereas I mean Armstrong was completely anonymous. Yes, um, for yeah. pretty much the entire game up until we had that sort of one-on-one in the last minute, which he kind of dallied over and tried to try to be a little bit too clever, and the keeper kind of outsmarted him a little bit there, mm. I think. But mm. yeah, Armstrong had a had a very poor game, I thought. But Gineppo is the one that obviously gets singled out because because he's a little bit more eye-catching because he does try and run at run at players. But I mean, yeah, obviously things that he things that he was trying didn't necessarily work out. There was one where he he kind of did a couple of step overs to to beat the beat the um I don't think it was even Lamptey, it was whoever from the centre backs had come across to um to cover the channel. He'd done a done a sort of double step over and got past him, but he'd over he then knocked it too far. And um obviously went out for a goal kick so nothing came of it. But we don't at the moment we don't have another player who's doing that. Redmond's been obviously injured and out of form this season, really. We know that he can do that sort of thing. Walcott, I guess, can do that, but he was playing through the middle um to start the game, so he was never going to be in position to do it. You're always looking to um Gineppo in that situation to be to be the guy that does something different. And that's what he was trying. He was he was clearly following orders there, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think I think the trouble the trouble with Gineppo is that defending is not his natural game this is going to be this is going to be something that he is taught and he he seems to when we haven't got the ball he's obviously thinking right I've got to do what Ralph wants me to do and I've got to close down but he he never seems to know when to stop he just seems to clatter into people and and every every time after he got booked every time Brighton had the ball and it went over his side I was thinking just just don't don't (laughs) do it don't do it. it 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 was literally that scary and I think I think Steve's right. That's that's why they took him off because I don't think Ralph can quite trust him yet to go. You know that when Romeo gets booked, he never somehow he never manages to get sent off because he just plays a bit more sensibly. I I get the impression with uh, with Musa that Ralph doesn't quite trust him to uh, calm it down as yet. So once once he's got booked, it's just a case of <laughs> waiting for the next break and get him yeah. off. Yeah, I think it was um, yeah just before we talk about the uh, the penalty. Um, you know, I suppose that was the positive, Steve, from it, wasn't it? That Saints didn't play very well and yet still managed to win the game. You know, there was uh, you know I think we talking about it on our WhatsApp group um, just at half time. You know, Shea Adams, Theo Walcott, Stuart Armstrong. That first half they were barely in it at all. But it's only the the second time. Uh, I looked this up today it's only the second time since Ralph took over that we've gone behind away from home and managed to come back to win the game I'm going to get a quick little quiz here between the two of you can you work out or can you remember which uh, the other game was oh god no um, <laughs> let's just call it let's just call it the redemption match Oh, oh, Leicester. Leicester. Yeah, Leicester away. That was the other one in uh, January of last year. Let's get on to the, the penalty then, uh, Glenn, because obviously that's uh, everything uh, the media were talking about. I was listening to the uh, Five Live podcast this morning with Mark Chapman and such like, and uh, Chris Sutton obviously had a particular view on it, as he always does. It was a fairly quiet second half, uh, predominantly controlled by us, but obviously it was that Mannings that we just spoke about who stepped up to secure the win with the 81st minute penalty um, coordinated between sort of David Coote and uh, Peter Banks who was obviously the referee up in uh, Stockley um, I'm just going to ask the question simply Glenn what was your overall view uh, and thoughts on the VR process and the eventual decision well when it, when it was fouled I initially said free kick didn't didn't think it was in the penalty area they showed a replay and I thought well the initial the initial foul is outside the penalty area um, the contact with Walker Peters is outside the box so I, I could see why the referee had given it outside the box and then straight away for some reason I found myself thinking about the Harry Kane one um, which was also against Brighton yeah, where Lallana, he was stood yeah. yeah where it was a similar thing where Lalana, the contact was outside the box but Kane was stood on the line 
and then whether you know they decided it was a foul and therefore it was a penalty. And the the longer the VAR went on, now on the I was watching on Sky and they were showing it at full speed and then it slowed down and stuff like that. And the longer it went on, sort of one minute, two minutes, I, I was thinking, I reckon we're going to get a penalty out of this. It, it just it just seemed like that was the way it was going. I think they'd have made up their mind a lot quicker if the referee was not going to have to change his mind. So ultimately, because of the delay, I wasn't surprised when he gave it. If it had been given against us, I would have been spitting feathers. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, don't really, right. I don't really know what the rules are now. They, they talk about if the foul continues on into the box. Yeah. Now, as far as I'm concerned, Solly March, it's a stupid foul. He got caught out and he panicked and he bars Walker Peters in the back. There's no argument it's a foul. And then he's kind of he's kind of fallen on him in the penalty area. So all, all he's guilty of, really, as far as giving away a penalty is concerned, is falling on a player. Now, how how you can say I don't know how you can give that as a penalty to be honest. No, no. I, let me get this hundred percent. I do not care. I do not <laughs> care. In the I think yeah. you just got to accept that we're going to get a shocker given against us at some point. Yeah, hundred percent. And and it you know it's going to happen. And when it happens, we'll all moan about it. But I for the life of me, you know, I I can't I can't say that that was. Uh, that was a, the correct decision. It did make me laugh because they obviously showed it in the ground as well because yeah. you see the players <laughs> pointing behind and hear the pointing at the big stuff. screen saying, look yeah. at it for goodness sake. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I, mean, cause I, 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 I didn't think it was quite as sort of outrageous a decision as people have been making out. Mm. I thought you Kyle Walker Peters, yeah, but I thought he won it. I thought he, you know, like players do these days, he kind of made sure he put his leg in there. You know, I'm not saying that he knew he was in the penalty area or anything, but it was almost like he wanted to make sure he got the foul one way or another. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I mean, everyone, everyone does that, doesn't yeah, they? Yeah, I, yeah, I, don't, exactly. I don't think, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's kind of doubting the fact that it was it was a foul. It it's just wasn't clear of, and obvious, was it? That yeah, for me, it wasn't but, clear but and obvious. But that's kind of not the point. I mm. think the the issue with with this penalty is that people are saying, oh, it's got to be clear and obvious that it's that um, it's a penalty. Actually, no, it doesn't. The referee has decided it's a foul, and I, as far as I'm aware, he will have said to um, the guy on um, that he's talking to at, in Stockley Park. He will have said, "Right, I've seen there's a foul, and I th- I think it's kind of continuing." Um, so he'll he'll have said that there's that he saw two contacts, and as a result, that that automatically means that the the VAR is not actually checking for whether it's a foul or not. The second bit, he's basically, which is why the the ref then doesn't go over to the to the um, screen. It's then literally just a binary line check: is it inside the penalty area or not? But that's and what that, I mean, Steve. For me, it's like I I agree with you. I mean, it was as they say they talk about these linear decisions. The fact was the referee had given a foul, so that he didn't need to go and check at the monitor because he knew it was a foul but for me it wasn't clear and obvious that he was in the box when it happened and that that for me is you know for me it feels like the referee has given a as glenn said if he'd given a penalty then i don't think it would have been overturned but i don't feel even when my saints glasses on and, and you know i'm the same i don't care because it's when some you lose some but it didn't feel like it was clear and obvious that he should change it from a free kick to a penalty i think in that situation the referee is always erring on the side of caution with what they give and i think the assistant referees are the same with offsides that are very close now because obviously they're told to keep the flag down and and then only put the flag up once the player's kind of reached its natural conclusion and i think automatically in that situation the referee will always give a free kick because if it turns out to be a penalty you can always upgrade it whereas you end up looking looking pretty silly if you give a penalty 
and it turns out that actually it's outside the box. Well, that's what I was thinking about. It made me laugh because uh, I was talking about this with someone yesterday, and of course we'd uh, mentioned briefly, hadn't we, Peter Walton a few weeks back, and uh, the fact, obviously, he gave that penalty for Saints at St Mary's in almost exactly the same part of the pitch against Brighton, ironically, <laughs> when uh, Jose Fonte was fouled about two, three yards outside the box. So there's a there's a pattern forming here. There we go, there we go. I'm sure we could talk about VAR forever, but yeah, I think the the essence here is um, you'll win some, you lose some, and as Glenn rightly said, at some point we're going to get a shocker against us. But uh, anyway, here's what a happy Ralph Hasenhutl said after the game to SouthamptonFC.com. I think I can be very happy today because we we did what was necessary today uh, against a tough opponent. Uh, uh, to be one down, never easy. But today we turned the table and I think in a way that uh, really uh, I have to respect what, what we did today. Especially the fight was, was unbelievable. Yeah? We tried always to give pressure on them, don't let them play. We have been always on the champ and the back four did a fantastic job today also. Uh, everything what uh, we couldn't filter, they, they defended out, and, and I think it was, it was especially our work against the ball was the key of winning today. Uh, it was a performance uh, what uh, especially against the ball uh, has to be, because when you, when you want to deserve a win, then you must work extremely, and I think especially, especially in the second half, we, we made a lot of negative sprints uh, to our own goal. But we have to, and, and if you do it, then you deserve to get something. We were closing very quick, uh, so the opponent did not have a long time to, to, to create a chance. They had still a few, but, but uh, in the end, I think it was a, a good game from us. Ultimately, then, Glenn, just to finish, um, as I said, another excellent three points, up to fifth at time of recording, 20 points from 11 games, halfway to safety, as we mentioned, and uh, you know, it just sort of caps now ahead of a, a tricky run of fixtures with the likes of Arsenal, Man City around the corner. You know, Saints are in a really good position. Yeah, and it's it's a position that you know anyone would have uh, sold their grandmother for at the um, at the start of the season. It's an excellent springboard for the season to be whatever we can make it. I I, I can't really say too much more than that. Twenty twenty points at this stage of the season. I can't. I'm, I mean, I imagine it was in the Cumin season that we we had this many points after after this many games. I'm so, not done my research. I'm sorry. I apologise. I should have done. Dreadful, <laughs> dreadful. Ben, should have done. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's it's a it's a great start. But that's all it is. It mm. is a start. You know, we played about a quarter of the games. There's a long way to go. And uh, you know, we haven't had, with the possible exception of Palace, we haven't had a, you know a game where we've got nothing when you know against a team that we really should be beating. So if we can carry on beating the teams we sh- we should beat and pick up whatever we can from the uh, from the from the big boys, then uh, then yeah, we should be on for a good season overall. Listening to the Total Saints podcast, going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Steve, this past weekend saw the two-year anniversary of Ralph's time managing Saints, of course. In all competitions, it's played 81, won 32, drawn 18, lost 31. He's got a win percentage of 39.5%, scored 119 goals and let in 126. Um, Overall, I think we can probably uh, say it's been a bit of a, a roller coaster journey, but feels like we're heading in the, the right direction. So, what have you kind of made in summary of the two years? It's, it's interesting, actually, when you lay the when you lay the figures out like that. It actually makes it sound not quite as not quite as sort of interesting and intriguing yeah, and progressive yeah, yeah. as it has been. I think instinctively, I think it feels as if genuine progress has been made and that we're kind of still on the right track to continue that that path. Whereas I mean, you kind of look at look at the look at the figures. I mean, obviously negative goal difference, which kind of is is to be expected given that game. But yeah, having pretty much won and lost the same number of games, kind of feels 
yeah, it kind of feels a little bit underwhelming, really, in that sense. Whereas actually sort of thinking about it without the knowledge of those numbers, I think the vast majority of Saints fans, I think, would say that it's been it's been largely a success. And as long as certain key things remain the same at the club, then there's no reason why we can't can't continue in in a sort of relatively upward trajectory yeah and i think glenn just to build on that you know it's almost like it feels like a a bit like a football a game of two halves it feels like two years of two halves you know as in that first year it was tough it was hard work trying to get wins keep us up etc you know implement a lot of his philosophy 2020 as we know i think they were talking about it the other night i mean is it what liverpool man city the only teams that have won more games than us this in this calendar year something like that so it almost feels as steve says that when you look at the stats it doesn't feel like it's been as exciting but actually you know when you look at just the last 12 months it will be a totally different view I think you've got to look beyond the stats as well. You know, I think you've got to look at what he inherited. I think you, you judge a manager, well, I judge a manager anyway, but by what he does with the resources that he has available. When he came in, we'd had three really poor managers in a row, and we'd had a, a raft of bad recruitment decisions, and the, the squad he inherited wasn't great. We, we stayed up, you know, and last season was a little bit of a disappointment overall, I thought, because I, I expected the season that we're having now to happen last season, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. But we were a bit of a mess. We had that result. We turned it around. And like you say, 2020 has been an excellent season on the pitch for us. It's probably as good a calendar year. Again, you won't have done your stats. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you won't have done Feel free to do them as well. You know, it's it? probably... Yeah, no, I can't be bothered. Uh, I'm not into all that, as you know. But um, it's probably been as good a calendar year as as we've ever had. And, you know, we just have to make hope we can keep this going for the for the rest of this actual uh, actual season. I, I think it's been excellent. The club's in a lot better shape than it was two years ago. The squad's a lot better. We have a, now have a distinct style of play. We don't have sort of any unrest from fans thinking the team's boring or the team's not going anywhere. I think there's a lot more positivity about the place. And that, that comes from, you know, Martin Simmons and Toby Steele as well, not just not just from the manager. I mean, it is important to mention those guys. Um, that's one thing the mainstream media does actually do. You know, they mention the fact that 90% of managers would have been sacked after mm-hmm. that game. Mm-hmm. And we get a lot of credit for, you know, sticking by Ralph. And and now it's looking like when he eventually, when he does eventually leave and he will eventually leave obviously it will be to go to a a club that's on a a different level to what we're on a higher level rather than uh, just slinking back to Germany with his tail between his legs which probably would have happened if he'd been sacked after the uh, the uh, the big defeat so yeah I I think overall he's done an excellent job regardless of what the stats say good to hear while you were talking there I just quickly flicked through uh, 135 years history there and unofficially I can confirm that it's been the best calendar year we've ever had all right just so you know great so good that's hot off the press Um, well speaking ahead of the Brighton game here's what Ralph made of his two years in charge I'm very happy where I am I feel absolutely together and uh, this was the reason why when I got the chance to extend my contract, I did it. I'm very thankful for being here. To be honest, it was a long way to come to the position we are now. It was a good start, then a tough start of the second year. And then yeah, now we are more and more coming in the direction where I want to be as a, as a, as a manager with this team. And uh, the development now was definitely what I hoped that it could be, what I think about is that it takes so long until we can change the mentality and uh, the behavior completely and I think it looks now that we had made this last and very important step and uh, hopefully we don't fall back to old behaviors to old 
mistakes we make, but you never know. The Premier League is always tough and it's on us to, to keep them hungry, to stay focused. But yes, it was uh, absolutely the right decision to come here. And for me, it is uh, absolutely enjoyable this job every day. Glenn, just to finish up this additional section then, um, of course a new four and a half year deal was announced for uh, Polish defender Jan Bednarek last uh, week as well. We've not done a, a pod since then, so just wanted to touch on it. Look, as we know, as Martin Semmer said to us, there's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes around contracts and good to get another young uh, talent locked into Saints for the sort of longer term. Yeah, and he's only going to get better. Um, that's that's the good news is that, you know, centre-halves don't usually hit their peak until they're about, you know, 27, 28. I don't know how old he is now, incidentally, but he seems a lot younger than that. He was a gamble. He was very raw when he when he started. And, um, you know, I did wonder uh, for a little while if there was ever going to be a player in there. He didn't look like he had the tools. But, I mean, it coincides with Ralph's two years, doesn't it? That was when he's kind of broke into the team and he's he's been virtually an ever-present apart from when he's knocked himself off. Out or someone else has knocked him knocked him out. Um, he's played he's played virtually every game. He has the old wobbly moment. I mean, he's 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 actually been a bit more wobbly this season than he was last year. But um, you know, if he if he didn't make mistakes, he wouldn't be playing for us. It's as simple as that. I, I think he's I think he's a very good player. He's very solid, and you know, he's not the best. He's not the best ball player in the world, as long as you've got a player next to him who can pass the ball, which is what we've had. He, you know, with with Jack Stevens and and now with Vestergaard, you've got. He's he's more of your traditional stopper centre half. Uh, yeah, I'm re- I'm really pleased he's uh, he's staying. I think he recognises that this is a a good club for him to be at. And uh, yeah, I mean he signed till 2025, isn't it? Yep, yep. Yeah, right. so that you know that's that's excellent. So he's 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 committing a very large chunk of the the rest of his career to um, to sticking around. So he, him and whoever represent him must uh, must see us as a decent place for him to be. is the Total Saints podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. Now, as part of our monthly TSP International Supporters Group feature, last week I had the opportunity to catch up with the brilliant, enthusiastic Barat of the Southampton FC India Group. Based in Mumbai, Barat chatted to me about a very committed set of Saints fans over in India. Total Saints Podcasts, International Supporters Club. Okay, it's time for our latest TSP International Supporters Club as we take a monthly visit to talk with Saints supporters groups around the world, hearing a little more about their story and collective views on the club. We're following up on trips to Argentina, Bulgaria and Norway by hearing from India, the second most populated nation in the world, with over 1.3 billion people living there. One of those is with us today and shares a love of Saints. Bharath Vishal Mahesh Kumar lives in Mumbai and is here to represent Southampton FC India. Barat, firstly, lovely to talk with you. Thank you for coming on this TSP International Supporters Club. How are you keeping and uh, how's life in Mumbai at the moment? First of all, thank you so much, Ben, for having us. Uh, Mumbai has been, yes, pretty heavy hit with the coronavirus pandemic, but we are doing good. Yeah, and thank you so much for the kind words. No, no problem at all. And uh, briefly tell us about how you personally got into following Saints then, Barat. What's the, uh, the history behind it? So, uh, for me, I think Southampton came at a pedestal where I just started watching football. Mm -hmm. And championship, as you know, isn't much telecasted over here in India. But usually, there's a football review show which goes on, which usually shows us, uh, let's say, highlights and everything. So, in that, through with, I could find one particular match 
which I had no idea about, which is going to start this ride for the past eight years, <laughs> was the last match with Coventry City, oh, if yeah. you remember, Ben, yeah, the 4 0. Yeah. So that was the match which made me loosely interested in Southampton. I was like, the kind of passion which they showed when the whistle blew and everyone invaded the pitch, everyone picking up Ricky Lambert. <laughs> and like, who are these guys? So my first impression of Southampton was this club who has just won something. I had no idea what they had won it. But eventually I read up on them and then the Premier League started. And even the first match against Manchester City, Ricky mm. Lambert scoring the goal, I still imprinted in my memories. <laughs> so that's how my uh, love for Southampton started towards the beginning of our life back in the Premiership and eventually grew over the years after seeing Pochettino manager setting us to new heights along with Koeman coming in, Pearl coming in and now... Hassan Hotel, obviously. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Fantastic. And you mentioned two brilliant yeah. games there. Um, obviously, yeah, the Coventry one sticks in the mind and the, the Man City game Definitely. as well. But but other than that, over the last sort of eight, nine years, Barat, is there any other sort of favourite games or, you know, moments that stick in your mind? Loads. Ben. <laughs> Where do I start? The first one, I think I'm going to start with the 1-0 victory at Manchester United, mm-hmm. if you remember that one. Yep. I think it's uh, Dusan Tadic who scored the goal and he just removed the shirt and that I think I still have it as my wallpaper somewhere. <laughs> uh, so that was one of my favorite go favorite matches. Along with that, I think the eight nil, which we did for Sunderland, which is I'm sure like not a lot of people still remember. Mm. I think that one and uh, even Sadio Mane's hat trick was a really good match yeah. for me. And recently, the one nil against uh, Manchester City as well. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, when uh, Shea Adams scored, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think that's how he started. Yeah. I imagine, just briefly, um, there's lots of uh, the top six uh, clubs that have fans over there. I, I was reading your piece that you did uh, recently, you and the uh, Southampton FC India guys with Lee Saunders, and I know you spoke about the uh, the Chelsea game and being in a bar with 30 or 40 uh, Chelsea fans. So I assume probably when we beat yeah. teams like Manchester City, it's, it's nice, Barrett, because there's quite a few of their fans around over there, I imagine. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun banter in office and colleges whenever we beat a uh, top six club. Because there are a lot of people who are supporters of United, Liverpool Mm. and all. But the lower uh, middle table clubs, I don't think there are a lot of people who support them. Maybe because of the exposure. So it's really fun to, you know, whenever we beat a big club like 1-0 and then we go next day to work. It's a really fun banter, but if we lose, then you know what happens next. <laughs> yeah, you try to hide. There it. are ten people. Yeah, ten United supporters come to you and like, oh, how was the match? You <laughs> uh, should look at Kawani and all. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably been the advantage of working from home this year. I think many of us uh, around the world <laughs> yeah, are. At least you don't have to bump into colleagues, do you? I know a few yeah, Manchester yeah. United fans <laughs> I work with, but there we go. So uh, great. And, and and what about the current squad, Barrett? I mean, which which players are you enjoying watching in uh, Ralph's team at the moment? At the moment, I think there's two people in particular. One is Jay Adams, Mm -hmm. who has just seen his his form has come back on. And a very obvious answer is James Ward-Prowse, like the two goals. That's just something about our academic graduates playing for the senior team. It's a very feel-good factor for me. Like whenever I see uh, Jan Valery coming in or any of the academic graduates, I just am so happy like, oh, this is the Southampton way and we're going in the right direction. So for me, I think right now is James Ward-Prowse. He's doing an amazing job. 
Tremendous. Sorry, I mentioned obviously in the start that you're um, kind of here to represent the Southampton FC India group today. Yes. Um, Tammy and, and yourself and the guys are obviously a very passionate uh, bunch of supporters, which is tremendous because as we were just talking about before we started, you know, Southampton is a, a family club and it's a, a you know all of us around the world are a family uh, in terms of fans. But Definitely. tell us a little bit about your supporters group out there. You know how it started and when it started and sort of how many of you there are in the group, Barrett. I remember, as I said, like after my match, I was just searching on Facebook about like other supporters group for Southampton, mm-hmm. which I think at that point there weren't any in India. And I think I came across this one person. I'm sure. Do you know uh, Trevor by any chance? Trevor Foy, yeah, he's a legend, isn't yes, he? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, he's a legend. I think he's the one who started uh, Southampton uh, supporters group all over the world. The global one, that's so, right. Yeah, the global one, yes. So I think he had actually initially started the Southampton FC India page, the, the Facebook page, and I had messaged him, oh, I'm a Southampton supporter, like just started watching the game and all. I think he directly made me an editor on the page. Mm-hmm. And that's how the entire movement started, in particular to Southampton in India. Like I started posting, trying to connect with people. And I remember like, oh, I just hope I'm not the only person in India who supports Southampton. And luckily, I met Tanmay as well at that point. Yep. I remember I was, I think, in... 12th grade, uh, if I put it correctly, right before degree college. Mm-hmm. And that's when I met Tanmay as well. And Tanmay and I bonded over a lot of Southampton. And then we started finding more people. Uh, eventually, there was this one Premier League live which happened in India, yep. in Mumbai. So we met a lot of people over there and everyone was so supportive about it. And that's how eventually we grew from a Facebook page. Once we started having a good following, we moved to WhatsApp. So it's five years now and we are uh, 20 people strong from all over India. Like we are people from the Northeast, we are from the North, we are from the South, we are from the West and the East as well. So we all bond over it. Like everyone handles a very different aspect of it. Like Tanmay handles Twitter. We have Stichan who handles Instagram. There are a lot of people who do a lot of interviews and it's just a family coming together and working just to raise awareness about Southampton. Yeah. So that's how our group started. I think we wanted to organize a lot of screenings as well, like with other clubs. Mm-hmm. But because of the pandemic, we couldn't do it. I think Chelsea was the first time we were meeting. Right. Uh, to be honest, Ben, this was the first time we met, like all of us together in person. Yep. And that was a very memorable <laughs> day as well. Like <laughs> That's when uh, when Michael Obafemi and Nathan Redmond scored and we won 2-0. So yeah. That's that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's how it started. So we have a lot of plans to grow Southampton following in India. Mm-hmm. But let's hope. How it goes, yeah. Yeah, well, it's a very big place, isn't it? I imagine yeah, trying to catch up is uh, not easy. But uh, what's it like, um, you know, in terms of commitment and things like that? I mean, obviously, uh, games are kicking off at three, four o'clock in the afternoon over here in uh, England. I, yeah. I think India's, what, around sort of five and a half, six five hours ahead, isn't it? So, yes, uh, yes. so, yeah, so what sort of commitment does it take from you and Tammy and the guys to watch games? Because I imagine it's fairly late at night and things like that. Yes. So, Ben, it's actually not that uh, bad, I would say. Because Premier League has done an amazing job with regards to broadcasting and everything in India. So now we have a website called Hotstar through which we can watch matches. It's always broadcast on TVs as well. So with regards to that, it's usually in the late evenings Mm -hmm. or sometimes at one if it's a very late kickoff over there in England. So I would say it's not much of a problem if maybe I was supporting La Liga or something. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Uh, I would not say it's very difficult, but yeah, it always has its moments like when we have kickoffs here at 1.45 in the night as well. <laughs> but I think everyone is passionate enough to stay awake for it. 
maybe we are late for the office or the college and that doesn't matter <laughs> as long as it's a win no indeed and uh, I mean look, look we know podcasts are all the rage everyone's doing them this year Barrett uh, but these days yeah. but uh, yeah I know you guys obviously at the start of this season I think you, you've started putting some podcasts together as well which I, I'm sure will be uh, very interesting I, I listened to the first one it was good fun and I, I suppose that's another good way of you trying to connect with people out in India that may pick up podcasts on uh, iTunes and things like that as well yeah Yes, yes. So podcast, I think, has exploded in 2020 with everyone staying home. Mm. So we thought we'd also try it. I think the first episode is out. Second episode will be out soon. Great. And this is also a different avenue. I think this year we started our Instagram. We started our Twitter. And we're getting a lot of traction on that. At mm. least people know that there's uh, Southampton supporters over here in India. Yeah. Podcast is also a new avenue which we started. Podcast also helps us to reconnect as well. Yeah. Like we as supporters, we usually since we are from different part of the country, we can't usually meet up like every weekend and watch the match. Yeah. So the podcast also helps us to you know discuss what's happening. Like, what's the way forward with Southampton? What do you want to do with it next? Yeah, I always sort of think of it as a bit of a counselling session over here. You know, you're full of emotion, and particularly uh, we obviously uh, did one after the Manchester United game last week. And uh, (laughs) sometimes talking to Glenn and Dan and Steve just helps me calm down a little bit, Barrett. So as you say, when you can actually talk to people, it uh, positive or negative, it helps to sort of get it off your chest, doesn't it? Definitely, definitely. I think you need people... Like, the one thing which I initially faced as a Southampton supporter was, like, I had never had anyone to rant to. <laughs> like, whenever we used to lose a match, I could never find anyone like, oh, man, he should have done this, he should have done that. <laughs> I always have people, like, from other teams supporting, and they're like, okay, it's fine, you guys were anyway not going to win and all. So, that kind of negativity usually doesn't work. But now, since I have a bunch of friends who, like, support the same club, it's always fun. Like, oh, man, Che should have showed. Oh, he should have done this and that. So, yeah. You should actually see our WhatsApp group during matches. It's like everyone has some different rant going on, like, oh, that pass. Oh, this flick. Yeah. No, fair enough. And uh, look, we're we're obviously recording um, just ahead of the Brighton game. So Saints' uh, next yes. game will be down at Brighton. This will be coming out yeah. after that. But um, what's the sort of general feeling within your supporters group about Saints at the moment on and off the pitch? To be honest, we haven't felt this optimistic ever since, I would say, Pearl left. I think after that, there's just some kind of, how do I put it, an energy in the group, like yeah. very optimistic. Like, we can do everything. I'm sure you've seen that Che Adams uh, telling we're going to win the league. <laughs> we yeah. see that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that usually comes around the group every other day. So we are all pretty optimistic about this season. Initially, we were, uh, towards the end of the last season, we were like very optimistic, like this season is going to be a breakout season and we're going to undo like the past one or two years of uncertainty. Mm. So the group is very happy Everyone is in a very joyous mood since we started all these new avenues to reach out to people. Everyone is putting in their effort in and we're seeing so many good results. Mm. So it just makes us even more happier to do the work we do since we don't do it for money. Like we're doing it out of a time whenever we get time to do all this. So yeah, we are pretty happy and very motivated. (laughs) Yeah, joyous. Good. And uh what about the the sort of coverage and content the club provide? I mean, obviously they're renowned for um, doing a really good job, and they get a lot of information out there, which I think sort of helps all of us. But I mean, you're obviously so far away over there in India. Does it give you yeah. and the the Southampton FC India guys a, a good sort of feeling that you're part of the club, and you know you can get a good view of what's going on within St Mary's and Staplewood? 
yeah definitely i think officially i don't think i am the right person to comment on like what exactly the club needs to do it i think they're doing a pretty good job with youtube and twitter as well but twitter has been a, a blessing in disguise for us yeah. the kind of community our followers in india have found in other people or people living in southampton has been great like i could say like there are a lot of people who made friends and they have made plans as well like whenever we visit southampton they're going to stay over or something of that sort so it's a pretty as you said a big family uh with regards to the club i think they're doing a pretty good job with the timely updates on what's happening as you know like it the distance obviously does matter like someone being in southampton and someone being over here sure will not get the same experience but i'll not complain much on it but yeah i think the club is doing a good job on it. yeah great and um just before we get the details of where everyone can uh, find you guys if they want to have a follow and interact and things like that barrett i suppose the dream yeah. is uh at some point when uh this uh pandemic's over that you and tam may and the guys can try and get across to st mary's and actually attend the game is it is that the dream you will not believe it i think it's in my bucket list since 2013 <laughs> yeah to visit st mary's and like go about round for it i think i'll be the person comes early in the morning for the kickoff waits for the players to come in to soak in the entire experience i think each one of us wants to visit st mary's at one point mm. which i am sure we will maybe after the pandemic is over and restrictions are lifted yeah. but we'll definitely do it i think that's one thing which is still missing because mm. no matter how much content you uh, consume i think the real deal is something very different yeah i'm sure like you might have also seen a lot of copa 90 i think there's this one video put up by copa 90 which was about the rivalry between southampton and portsmouth that's right yeah so we are far away from it so we uh, i'm sure like the rivalry for you and for me would be completely different because we've come from very different backgrounds and sure. areas so yeah i think it's a dream for us to you know have that experience of being in saint mary's singing over when the saints go marching in Great, Barrett. Oh, just finally then, um, if Saints yes, fans, uh, as I say, if there's other Saints fans in India that are somehow listening to this, uh, or um, other Saints fans that are based around the world that maybe have a, an Indian heritage or an Indian background and yeah. want to connect with you guys, what are some of the the sort of social media um, handles and things like that? You meant, uh, mentioned Instagram and Twitter and things like that. So where can other people find you and Tammy and the guys? So if there's anyone remotely Indian or has an Indian heritage or lives in India and wants to support Southampton FC or is supporting Southampton FC and is looking for other buddies we are a big family and we'll take you with open arms so we are on Twitter and our handle is Saints FC India and we are actually on Instagram as well and that is Southampton FC India we are on Facebook also that is also Southampton FC India so you can ping us on all these three and we'll reach out to you Oh, excellent. Well, as, as I say, um, we'll make sure that uh, when we pop this out, uh, we'll uh, add all the various links and the sites and things like that, Barrett, so people can uh, find it. But um, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the, the pod. Thank you for joining us. And uh, as I say, India's a, a massive country, so all the, the hard work you and Tam May are doing in trying to attract Saints fans, keep the good work going within Southampton FC India, eh? Thank you so much, Ben. Yeah, we keep it up. I <laughs> love your podcast as well. Hi guys, I'm Danny Ings and you're listening to the Total Saints Podcast. A big thanks again to Barrett for his time. Hope you enjoyed hearing from him. Right, to finish this week's pod, a look ahead to this weekend's match against Chris Wilder's Sheffield United. Um, Steve, United have obviously struggled so far this season. 
Do you put that down to anything in particular, given it's largely the same squad, or is that in itself kind of the main problem? It's partly, I think, the fact that the squad is probably still wouldn't look out of place as a playoff chasing team in the championship. Chris Wilder has still done an absolutely amazing job to get them to where they are. And I think, the unfortunately for them, this horrendous run that they're on at the moment, which, I mean, let's be honest, goes back to the restart period as well, because it, it, it's not as, not as if that, that's only just started um, this season, is kind of just a levelling effect, really, that they were so good. I mean, they got, they got results that were on, on the sort of margins of games, and they were all going in their favour. Um, for the most part, back sort of early part of last season, whereas now they're they're all going the opposite way. Um, I mean, they're they're not getting beat by many. I think all bar one of their defeats have been by have been by the odd goal. I think so. But the pro- the problem is at the other end, in that they basically have scored one goal from open play all season. Yeah. And I mean that is that is an absolute disaster. And they and they've spent they've spent decent money for a club of their size on strikers. We've spoken about Ollie McBurney um, before on here, and he's just patently not a Premier League centre forward. Ryan I was Brewster, nervous when we say things like that ahead of oh, the game. Of course, he'll, he'll, <laughs> he'll, bang a, he'll bang a hat trick in on Sunday. <laughs> of course he will. But, um, but uh, Ryan, Ryan Brewster, bit of a gamble. I mean, he was he was obviously highly coveted by a number of teams. So you kind of give them a little bit of a pass on that one for now, because he's obviously only just joined the team and he's joining a team that's currently struggling and not creating any chances for him. And his record in the championship is excellent. So you kind of think, well, okay, we'll we'll give, give him a little bit of time on that kind of in the, in the Shea Adams mold, I guess. Then the other strikers are David McGoldrick and Billy Sharp. And with all, all the will in the world, they're not, they shouldn't be the they shouldn't be the strikers that are getting regular games for a for a Premier League side these yeah, days. Yeah. Um, and that's that's ultimately where their problem is. The if you don't if you don't score enough goals or create enough chances in games, it puts so much extra pressure on the um, on the defence to not screw up. Mm, mm. And they've they've taken they've taken a big, um, in my opinion, a, a huge down. Uh, sort of downgrade in in the goalkeeper. Yeah. And I don't think I don't think Aaron Ramsdale's a bad goalkeeper. It's just he's so much of a step down from what Dean Henderson was that they're now conceding a lot of goals that that probably would have been saved last year. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more about the the wonderful job Chris Wilder's done overall. As you say, it's um, been uh, some journey. Um, Glenn and Steve mentioned there the Blaze will arrive at St Mary's with a, a record, of course, uh, this season of played eleven. One none, drawn one, lost ten. They've only scored five goals. They've let in eighteen. They've just got the the one point. And uh, as Steve also mentioned, because I did look this up, they've only won one of their last fifteen games in the Premier League, um, going back to to last season as well. So obviously they're a bit of a wounded animal, which is always a, a danger for any team. And you know we'll still need to be wary of them. But of course, again, you, you know they they bitter blow a bit like you know I think back to our relegation season when we seem to you know throw points away uh, right at the end there. Of course, Vardy scoring at the end of last week will mean they arrive even more. More sort of deflated. Yeah, they, yeah. Well, I think Wilder will get them in the right frame of mind to come down and and try and win this game. On the other hand, if we're serious about having a good season, then we obviously have to win this game. The the interesting thing for me is, um, you know, there was this narrative running through last season about our poor home form, and uh, somehow it was the fans' fault. It's quite ironic that we're going to have fans back in the ground on um, <laughs> on the, for this game, and uh, yeah, it's it's all it's all set up for prime Southampton FC cock-up <laughs> territory, isn't it? Yes, um, it you is. know, fans back in the ground and we yeah. play a team that's only got one point. My nil-one predictions looking good, I reckon. It's yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I, 
I can't add anything to anything more to what to what Steve said. There's other than there's there's no element of surprise now. I think they surprised quite a few teams with their style of play last season. That's gone. Their strikers are the main issue, and and, and as Steve said, um, Ramsdale in goal, it, you know, just just doesn't look the part. They look nailed on to go down at the moment. Well, um, I was going to ask. I mean, do you, you know, survival is obviously their number one aim now. I think Chris Wilder has effectively said 17th place. I mean, do you think they've got enough to stay up if you look at their squad, or do you think it's you know, especially the position they're in, it's looking like a long season ahead? The biggest thing they've got in their favour is the amount of poor teams that that are down there. I mean, you know, you, West Brom and Fulham have picked up a few points. Um, over the last few weeks, they they look very poor. Burnley, who you you would think would stay up, they they look poor. You know, as for reasons discussed earlier, similar reasons to Sheffield United, Brighton are going to be down near the bottom this year because they just don't score enough goals. I I hope that whatever happens, Chris Wilder survives if that's what he wants to do. Um, even if they get relegated, I hope they I hope they persevere with him because he's 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 a breath of fresh air as a manager, um, and he's he's wound up Jurgen Klopp as well. I was going to say always, that's a positive. Isn't always it? to be applauded. And, <laughs> no, it's still going on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we need more. I know he was a he was a Saints apprentice, wasn't he? He was hundreds yeah. of years ago. Yeah. So I hope he does well and I hope he survives. I hope they st- I hope they stay up. I've got no no issue with Sheffield United. I just think having made this start and with the players they got, uh, I mean, Steve made a point about. Brewster being a little bit like Che Adams. The thing that Che Adams had last year when he wasn't scoring, he had Danny Ings who was scoring next to him. Whereas Sheffield United have got David McGoldrick or Ollie McBurney. And they they can't afford Brewster to have a season acclimatising to the Premier League. They've paid £25 million for him or whatever it is, and they need him to score 10, 15 goals before the season ends. Otherwise, they are really looking down the barrel. Steve, let's focus on Saints then. Um, as uh, you touched on there, um, obviously the atmosphere is going to be slightly different at St Mary's this weekend. Um, we're recording a couple of days before Ralph does his press conference, so we're not quite sure about the fitness of the squad. Touchwood, you know, it looked quite strong against uh, Brighton. Even the bench looked healthy. Mohamed Salassi had uh, arrived uh, you know, it feels like uh, the squad hopefully is on a bit of a crest of a wave. But thinking about the the atmosphere there, obviously, as uh, you mentioned, it's going to be the first game at home with a crowd since the 7th of March and that Newcastle game. So, again, it is going to be a slightly different atmosphere. But I suppose the positive for the team now is that they've faced that on Monday night and they kind of know what to expect. Yeah, and it'll be it'll be very interesting for them to kind of have the fans on their on their side as opposed to being the ones with nobody because well i mean we've we've seen you look at our record since project restart and we're we're right up there um so our our record at playing effectively training ground football is among the best in the country yeah it's now a case of what happens when we've got fans fans in the ground who are both obviously both support um obviously supporting the team but also whose expectations expectation levels have probably risen a fair fair amount in the last five or six months. And especially when you're playing a team that's bottom of the league with one win in 15, two goals scored all season, one of which was a penalty. Is the patience going to be there from people? We've all watched games of football on TV with Saints since the first lockdown. And so I think we're all kind of accustomed to the way that the way that we play, the way that we're not looking to necessarily um, steamroller teams our pressing is very selective but when we do press we press all together and occasionally we will pass backwards and sideways and it's that it's that particular aspect I think that I think whether people have still maybe not quite got to grips with yet it'll be very interesting to see whether there is kind of an understanding among the the lucky 2000 on on Sunday when 
things. I mean, let's face it. Sheffield United are going to want to make the, make this game a battle. That's the way. That's the way they're going to get something out of the game is by making it tough and maybe nicking something. I don't think Sheffield United are going to be coming coming out to outpass us or anything like that. So that's that's the sort of game we're going to be up against. And and it's yeah, we we need. You need those 2,000 fans in the ground to have that degree of patience and understanding of the of the context of the situation. That'll be in, very interesting to see. Indeed, and uh, yeah, it's interesting because I watched their game at uh, West Brom. Obviously, we're a lot better than West Brom, but yeah, they had 21 shots and lost one nil that night, which was very Saints almost. But it's, uh, you know, as you say, they're not a, a bad side, and they certainly do create chances uh, away from home. So hopefully, the the 2,000 of you uh, that are going will uh, enjoy the game and uh, get behind the team and everything. Just finally, Glenn, then from a Saints point of view, obviously, as we well know, the last home game was uh, sort of 60 minutes, good stuff, half an hour, disappointing with Man United, obviously winning late on. So again, important for Saints to get back to winning ways at home and carry on that good momentum in front of uh, you know the the home uh, attendance. Yeah, I think so, and I think that the fact that there will be two thousand people there will will give them an additional motivation to to try and do that. I don't think the Man United game is particularly relevant. You know, we got beaten by a better team on the day, and we've kind of put that to bed by by winning uh, by winning the game on Monday night. So there's no sort of scoreboard pressure if you like and we're not looking over our shoulders we're it's a game that you know we should win that brings its own pressure no i'm 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 very hopeful that the team will just go out there and do do the job that needs doing and hopefully we'll get a a similar sort of performance that we had against them last year where you know we beat them relatively comfortably right let's do some predictions then Uh, i got dan's offline and dan uh, this is exactly what he said to me which is in true saint style quote they can't lose to sheffield surely i'm going for a 3-0 win so that's what dan's gone for steve what do you reckon yeah, I, it's got huge, massive, great big banana skin all over it, hasn't it? It's, I mean, Sheffield United haven't been playing that badly. I mean, as you mentioned, that West that West Brom game last week was extraordinary for the number of guilt-edged... I think they missed about I mean, five chances from under the crossbar. Oh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that one in injury time yeah. where one hit Bruce's shin and then it landed yeah. to... Musa um, and he somehow put it over the bar from. I mean that was that was akin to that Carnu open goal miss from uh, when he was playing for West Brom uh, back in the day where he somehow put it over from about six inches. Um, you kind of wonder when their luck will change, and that's that's kind of my concern. But I mean ultimately we should we should have a, we should have too much quality if we click in attacking areas as we did a lot better second half Monday night. I think we win, and I think we probably win comfortably. But we've got to be got to be a little bit careful. Um, I have no idea where you're going with this now. Nah, come on, Steve, <laughs> take a score. <laughs> Could be anything. Keeping everyone on on ten of hooks. So I'm going. I think we'll we'll be all right. I think two nil. Two nil. All right, great. Okay, we'll definitely take that. Glenn, what do you reckon? Do you want me to talk for twenty minutes? We'll just give you a score. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Steve chose the same score as me last week, and and I'm going to choose the same score as him this yeah. week because that's oh, what I was going for. So I'm, like I'm, prediction buddies. I know, I know. So, so yeah. uh, I'm going for two nil as well. Good, good. All right. Well, obviously, I went back to uh, as everyone knows, went back to uh, form with uh, the nil one prediction for Brighton that worked again. I, I'm feeling confident uh, on nil one on two fronts this uh, week because yeah, it has got a uh, an away uh, sort of Saints howler written all over it, hasn't it? But uh, obviously, the fact that nil one constantly works, uh, fingers crossed, it will do again. So that's that's what I'm going for. You're listening to the Total Saints podcast, going to the heart of all things Saints FC. 
A big thank you for listening to TSP this week. We'll be back this coming weekend per normal when we'll be reflecting on the Sheffield United game and looking ahead to a tough week for Saints with a Wednesday game at Arsenal before Man City arrive at St Mary's. We'll look forward to welcoming Dan back to join Steve Glenn and myself then. That pod will also include our December Red and White Insight as we catch up with one of the busiest members of Saints staff in 2020, the head of the Saints Foundation, Greg Baker. Until then, have a great few days and keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com okay i have two new obsessions that i need to share with you impress no glue press on manny's and impress press on falsies lashes Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.